Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. On Tuesday morning, ESPN, which has been in a losing battle to keep its subscribers, issued a new set of guidelines recognizing connection between sports and politics. ESPN public editor Jim Brady acknowledged the oddity of releasing those guidelines after a presidential election, but he said, quote, we are living in unique political times, which explains the revised guidelines for discussion of political and social issues. According to ESPN Vice President Craig Benston, he said that Trump's election was the essential factor behind the new guidelines. The first part of the guideline is a a recommitment to objective journalism. Quote, our audiences should be confident our original reporting of news is not influenced by political pressures or personal personal agendas, unquote. Of course, that's not going to help much. CNN believes the same thing, and their reporting, reporting is slanted heavily to the left. The left's version of objectivity says that a story, once decided upon, must not be overtly political. But this ignores selection bias, which decides which stories are important to cover in the first place. ESPN's heavy focus on Caitlyn Jenner, for example, pushes a political agenda through selection bias as well as political bias. ESPN does make two more important changes to their policy. First, they say that hard news reporters and editors at the company should not make any public statements in any forum that would reveal their political biases. That's absurd. It doesn't solve the problem of political bias in reporting itself. But the most important change is the encouragement of more political talk from commentators. Quote, outside of hard news reporting, commentary related to political or social issues candidates or office holders is appropriate on ESPN platforms consistent with these guidelines. The presentation should be thoughtful and respectful. We should offer balance or recognize opposing views as warranted. We should avoid personal attacks and inflammatory rhetoric. In other words, talk politics, so long as it's leftist. Mike Ditka lost his job for speaking in favor of Donald Trump and against Barack Obama on NFL Countdown. Kurt Schilling was ousted for the great sin of comparing radical Islam to Nazism. Chris Broussard was slammed by management for expressing his religious view of homosexuality. Brady himself has stated in the past, quote, internally, there's a feeling among many staffers, both liberal and conservative, that the company's perceived move leftward has had a stifling effect on discourse inside the company and has affected its public-facing product. Consumers have sensed that same leftward movement alienated alienating some. ESPN's far leftism has certainly certainly alienated me. I used to watch ESPN religiously. Now I can't even bear to watch it for more than 15 minutes at a stretch since it's impossible to escape the leftist propagandizing. That's not going to change under the new rules. Let's see ESPN hire some conservatives and let them talk, rather than ousting them the moment they disagree with the prevailing leftist orthodoxy. Then we can talk about a freer discourse. Until then, ESPN should shut up about politics altogether or risk watching its ratings continue to tank and subscribers continue to cut the cord. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, we have an exciting show lined up for you today. In just a few minutes, we're going to be having on F.H. Buckley. F.H. Buckley is a professor over at George Mason University's School of Law, and he has a new column out in which he says that Donald Trump should pursue nationalized health care. So we'll be talking to him about that. Plus, we have to get to all of the developments in Syria. We have to get to the fact that Steve Bannon is no longer on the National Security Council. He has been ousted, and his security clearance has been revoked for the National Security Council. And we'll talk about, obviously, the Susan Rice scandal. But first, I want to say thank you to our advertisers 
advertisers over at blinds.com. So you have window coverings that are old, they're in crappy shape, and you need something that's going to look nice and it isn't going to cost you an arm and a leg. That's what blinds.com is for. So instead of you having to hire a specialist to come into your house and measure everything, and then he'll come back with something you don't like and you replace it and it just takes forever. Instead, you go to blinds.com and you get a free online design consultation. You send them pictures of your house and they send back custom recommendations from a professional of what will work with your color scheme and your furniture and specific rooms. And then they'll send you free samples to make sure that everything looks the same same as it does online, and every order gets free shipping. And then if you mismeasure or you pick the wrong color, then Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. So if it's your screw-up, doesn't matter. Blinds.com will eat the cost, and they will make sure that you get the blinds that you want. They've made it really easy for you. There's no excuse to have the, the blinds that look like you know, for they're, they're from some sort of ghetto, you know, ghetto horrible apartment that's that's destroyed. So make sure that you go over to Blinds.com and check it out. And for a limited time, you get 20% off everything at Blinds.com when you use the promo code BEN. So Blinds.com, use that promo code BEN. That makes sure that they know that we sent you. And it also makes sure that you get 20% off everything, which is a solid deal since it's already a very affordable, competitively priced. Blinds.com, promo code BEN, 20% off everything from full wood blinds, cellular shades to roller shades. Blinds.com, promo code BEN. And there are some rules and restrictions that apply. Okay, so... The, the media continued to insist that there's nothing going on with the Susan Rice scandal. So yesterday, because I was uh, stuck at the airport all day, we couldn't actually do uh, the show yesterday. But I do want to talk about the Susan Rice scandal and why it's important. So here is the reason that the Susan Rice scandal is important. It's important for three reasons. So to, to, re, to, to back up, what we found out over the weekend and, and a little bit on Monday was that basically... Susan Rice, who's the national security advisor under President Obama, had been requesting what they call unmasked intelligence reports, unmasked raw intelligence from the intelligence community. In other words, there was a paragraph that would come in and it would say Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak was talking to U.S. person one and said blah, 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 blah. And so she would say, "Okay, who is U.S. person one? I want to know the name of that person. Well, if there is no illegal nefarious activity at play, then it really shouldn't matter who U.S. person one was. But she was specifically asking for any time there was a Trump administration official, a Trump campaign official, rather, and then after his election, a Trump transition official, she was asking that all those people be unmasked. Apparently, she had a database, an Excel spreadsheet, in which she was keeping all the information about the various members of the Trump transition team and Trump campaign who had talked to foreign actors, even though there was no accusation, no evidence of wrongdoing, which is targeting. It is targeting. Now, it's not wiretapping because, again, this is all the stuff that the intelligence community was picking up in incidental collection. So I want to be very careful about how we discuss this so that we are factual. It is Susan Rice sort of spying on the Trump administration in the sense that she is using a Trump filter to go through all of the information that's being gathered by the intel community. But that's not the same thing as like in the lives of others where the government says, I want you to go spy on this person. Yeah, it's not what's going on here. At no point did Susan Rice say, I want the intelligence community to go and tap Trump's phone, for example. She said, if Trump's name comes up in the communications, unmask him. Now, the reason that's a problem, it's legal to do that. The reason it's a problem, it's an abuse of power. If you're just keeping tabs on your political opponent so you know their next move, or you're just keeping tabs on your political opponent so that you can presumably leak it out to the press, which is what happened with Mike Flynn, the national security advisor who followed Susan Rice, if that's your purpose, then that is nefarious. It may not be illegal. The leaks are illegal. The unmasking may not be illegal. But if you unmask and then tons of people have access to all this information and then it leaks, that's at least partially your fault. So it is clear at this point that the Obama administration did target the Trump team. They didn't target them with specific wiretaps, but they did target them in reviewing the information. They were looking at it through the lens of what are the Trump people saying and can we use that in any way? 
As the Wall Street Journal editorial board said, Ms. Rice would have no need, no obvious need to unmask Trump campaign officials other than political curiosity. Also worth noting, Rice lied. So Rice was specifically asked about whether she whether she knew about any of the uh, any of the intelligence gathered on Trump, and she said she didn't know anything about any of the intelligence gathered on Trump. What she actually said was that she knew nothing about surveillance of the Trump team. This also does make theories about the relations between Trump and Russia uh, a lot more strained because if she was seeing all of the raw intel, and the raw intel had been telling her something really nefarious, wouldn't that have come out already? Wouldn't we know about that already? Wouldn't she be out there on the Sunday show saying, listen, we know a lot of bad stuff about Trump team, and there's, it's going to come out eventually, which is why we need an investigation. But she's got nothing, and the, and the Obama team has nothing. And so they've got a problem on their hands because basically they're monitoring Trump, and they came up with nothing. So Susan Rice was uh, on television yesterday, and she came out and she denied that she unmasked the Trump team. Did you seek the names of people involved in, to, to unmask the names of people involved in the Trump transition, the Trump campaign, people surrounding the, pre- the, the president-elect. Let me be clear. In order to spy on them, in absolutely, order to expose them. Absolutely not for any political purposes to spy, expose anything. But Did let you me leak ex- the name of Mike Flynn? I leaked nothing to nobody and never have and never would. But let, let me explain uh, this. First of all, Andrea, to talk about the contents of a classified report, to talk about the individuals on the foreign side who were the targets of the, uh, the report itself, or any Americans who may have been collected upon incidentally, is to disclose classified information. I'm not going to do that. The allegation... Stop it right there. The idea that, that Susan Rice would never disclose classified information. This administration was the leakiest administration until now. I mean, it was a super leaky administration, the Obama administration. They continuously leaked American and Israeli national security information. They leaked national security information at an increasingly high rate as the years went on in order to push a political agenda. The idea that, that nobody in the Obama administration would leak is silly. Also, I I like how Susan Rice may be telling the truth here, but I like when she says, I didn't look at any of this for political purposes. Okay, how do you define a political purpose? So maybe she didn't leak it. Maybe she's telling the truth. But there's no way that it wasn't for a political purpose. I mean, obviously, if you come up with no evidence and you're just keeping tabs on people who are coming up in the incidental surveillance and you're just asking for every update on Trump, why would you do that if it didn't have a political purpose? Really unclear. Rand Paul is right. He says that we need to call Susan Rice and she needs to testify under oath. The facts will come out with Susan Rice, but I think she ought to be under subpoena. She should be asked, did you talk to the president about it? Did President Obama know about this? And uh, he is exactly right. Meanwhile, the media are downplaying this. So here's the question. Why are the media downplaying this? You can see a selection bias on TV, right? So selection bias exists on every network. So CNN is now being sued uh, on diversity grounds, I guess, and they're not covering it. The Fox News is in trouble with Bill O'Reilly because there are all these new allegations about sexual harassment by Bill O'Reilly. They're not covering that. Basically, a lot of the networks don't cover stuff that they don't want to cover if it doesn't help them. So Fox News, of course, is all up on this Susan Rice stuff, but they have not been particularly up on any of the Paul Manafort stuff. Meanwhile, the folks on CNN are over the moon about the Paul Manafort stuff, former Trump campaign manager. They're all over the moon about that, but they have nothing to say whatsoever when it comes to the Susan Rice stuff. Now, two things can be true simultaneously. It can be true that there were a bunch of people related to the Trump campaign who were suspiciously close to Russia. It can also be true, by the way, that there's no proof of collusion. And it can also be true that Susan Rice was inappropriately using the power of government in order to keep tabs on her political opponents. But look how the media treat this. They treat this, they immediately dismiss the scandal. Then they wonder why people think there's media bias. Don Lemon, here's Don Lemon basically dismissing this out of hand. 
uh, clip four. The Washington Post today calls the latest claims about Susan Rice anatomy of a fake scandal ginned up by right-wing media and Trump. So let us be very clear about this. There is no evidence whatsoever that the Trump team surveilled or spied on, was, was spied on illegally. There is no evidence that backs up the president's original claim. And on this program tonight, we will not insult your intelligence by pretending otherwise, nor will we aid and abet the people who are trying to misinform you, the American people, by creating a diversion. Not going to do it. Diversion from what? It's a news story. Diversion from what? From Trump, Russia? I mean, I understand that CNN has to devote 27 hours out of every 24 to Trump and Russia, at least when they're not covering Malaysian Airliner 360 or whatever that, that Malaysian Airliner was that Don Lemon thought was eaten by a black hole. But it's this is ridiculous. Chris Cuomo on CNN, the block of wood masquerading as a human anchor. Here's what he had to say. Wants you to believe he is the victim of a crooked scheme. Those are his words. And here are our words. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing. And in fact, if anything, the NSA asking for identities was a reflection of exactly how much traffic there was involving Trump people and foreign players. The White House blasting the press for not reporting on another fake scandal being peddled by right wing media. That is day 75 of the Trump presidency. Okay, just insane. Okay, so he, he says that the reason that Susan Rice is keeping tabs is because there was so much traffic. So he turns it back against Trump that it's nefarious. But again, no proof that anything nefarious went on. Again, demonstrating that the media have a particular agenda on all of this, and that agenda is to get Trump. It is not to tell the truth. We want to stop here for a second before we bring on F.H. Buckley, Professor Buckley from uh, the from the uh, the George Mason School of Law, the Scalia School of Law. Uh, I want to uh, I want to thank our new endorsers over at ProFlowers. So I've used ProFlowers for years. Whenever I'm out of town, I send my wife flowers from wherever I am, and the way that I do that is I go to ProFlowers.com. They are always fresh. They are always great. They always last for seven days. It's a guaranteed fresh for seven days of your money back. They have a seven-step quality check. The flowers are always beautiful. If something breaks, they replace it. We've, I've actually had that issue, and Pro Flowers has done that for me. Right now, Pro Flowers has a special offer just for our listeners. You get $10 off your purchase of 29 bucks or more, so a $29 purchase becomes a $19 purchase thanks to Pro Flowers. It is a great service. If you want to make your significant other happy, you want to make your wife happy, you want to make your mom happy, uh, this is the way to do it. There's nothing that people appreciate more than flowers. For me, as I say, I travel a lot, and when I'm out of town, I always make sure to send my wife flowers so she knows that I'm thinking about her. And I, I've been using for years, long before they were sponsored, I was using proflowers.com because they are the best in the business. And you can help out our show when you use proflowers. And you go to proflowers.com and you use the show. The code is Ben Show. Ben Show. Uh, so make sure that it's Ben Show, not just Ben. Ben Show is the promo code at proflowers.com at checkout to get that special deal where you get $10 off any, any sale of $29 or more if you got a birthday or an anniversary or you're late, you're a month and a half late for Valentine's Day because you're a crappy boyfriend. Whatever it is, proflowers.com is the place to get it. As I've said, there's a reason that I've used them for years. They have the 100 Blooms bouquet and a dozen red roses. They also have totally unique specialized plant gifts. It's just a great service, and you should definitely use it. Again, use the promo code BENSHOW, BENSHOW, at checkout to let them know that we sent you, and also so that you are, and also so that you get that that terrific discount. Okay, so uh, do we have Professor Buckley on the line? Okay, terrific. Uh, joining us now on the Ben Shapiro Show is Professor F. H. Buckley. He teaches at the Scalia Law School at uh, George Mason University. His most recent book is "The Way Back: Restoring the Promise of America," and uh, we're having Professor Buckley on because he has a new column in which he suggests that. President Trump should actually pursue single-payer health care. Professor Buckley, thanks so much for joining the Ben Shapiro Show. 
Well, thanks for having me. So uh, let's jump right in. So you wrote in, in this column that President Trump should basically ignore repealing Obamacare. He should instead focus on the imposition of single-payer health care. Uh, and you try to justify that on conservative grounds, which is odd because single-payer isn't really conservative. You write that Trump said that he wanted a plan that would leave no one uninsured. The simplest way to do this is universal health care on the Canadian model with a right of individuals to purchase a Cadillac plan on top of this out-of-pocket. I actually agree that that's what Trump was promising when he said that he wanted to make sure that no one was uninsured. But he also promised hundreds of times on the campaign trail to repeal Obamacare. Do you think that those two were in conflict? Was he fibbing to his base or what? I don't know if they're in conflict or not, but uh, um, whether that's a matter of verbiage. But let's just talk about whether or not something like the Canadian single payer plan makes sense. And I think it does. And I think it does because it, I think, would appeal to most American voters as well. All those countries ahead of us on measures of economic freedom have something like single payer. So if one's worried about economic liberty in America, as one should be, it's not about single payer. It's about a whole bunch of other things that tend to get ignored. Okay, so I, I agree with you. There are a lot of other things that tend to get ignored. But to say that single payer health care is not an imposition on American freedom is just not true. It creates massive bureaucracies. It creates rationing as it does in Canada. Uh, it, the, the, I think that the, the best framework for thinking about this is that, as Dan McLaughlin in National Review said, you can have affordability, universality, and quality. You can have two out of those three. You can't have all three. Uh, and universal health care, unless it's inordinately expensive, uh, is not going to be particularly great quality. But, you know, uh, instead of arguing over the merits of universal health care, I want to ask you, because you, you are a conservative. I disagree with everything you just said, by the way. But okay, well, go, go ahead. That's fine. If you want to argue with that, go for it. Well, um, one way of measuring quality is to ask whether or not people are satisfied with what they get. Americans are quite dissatisfied with what they get. The country whose citizens are most satisfied with what they get is, is in fact, Canada. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what Professor Buckley wrote here. He, he basically made the case, and he was a conservative. Professor Buckley portrays himself as a conservative, so I want to ask him uh, the question. But he wrote in August 2016 that Trump was actually more conservative than a lot of the conservatives who didn't support him. Uh, and uh, I don't want to, you know, hit him while he's off the air here. But, but the fact is that measures of satisfaction are not a particularly good measure of, uh, of whether a system is good or not. Americans are highly satisfied with Medicaid, and there are no improved health outcomes from Medicaid. But uh, Professor Buckley, I, I didn't want to hit you while you're off the air there, but I, I would just argue that the, the measure of satisfaction uh, is, is not, in my view, a good one, because Americans are virtually everyone is satisfied with welfare systems. It's very rare that people are dissatisfied with stuff that they think they're getting for free. Yeah. Well, uh, another question to ask is, is there any movement in any of these countries to get rid of what they have? You turn to some of the most conservative politicians around, the people in Stephen Harper's cabinet, for example, in Canada, they wouldn't want to touch it at all. What they would want to do is tweak it with respect to things like wait times. You can make that better. There are a lot of things you can do to make it better. It's a very different kind of playing field now than it was when these things were introduced. Um, but in general, I think what I'm arguing against is a certain libertarian view that uh, entitlements are the problem. And entitlements, you know what that is? That's ordinary Americans. That's regular Americans. It's services provided by the government. And in fact, I mean, Americans would not be satisfied with anything less than all people are covered. I think that, uh, you know, the, the, you, you cast kind of a libertarian streak as, uh, as something that is, that is out of 
line here, but again, you know, I think that that's a more traditionally American view, traditionally conservative view. So do you think it's conservative? Let me ask you this. Do you care about the term conservative at all when it comes to President Trump? Because you wrote in August 2016 that President Trump was more conservative than conservatives who didn't support him. And you, you talked about entitlements in that column for the New York Post. And you said that America has, quote, a deeper kind of rot of departures from the rule of law, of corruption, of regulatory state on steroids, of a constitutional structure that lacks a reverse gear and that has given us wasteful laws that seem impossible to repeal. I totally agree with all of that. But if you're talking about wasteful laws that seem impossible to repeal, adding new entitlements are the definition of that. And if you're talking about a regulatory state on steroids, then a massive new entitlement that regulates how people obtain their health care is the definition of a regulatory state on steroids. Well, in fact, you've got all of that with respect to the present system. You have that with respect to Medicaid, uh, Medicare, and so on. Uh, you also have a really perverse incentive with respect to employers who are obliged to carry insurance. That makes them non-competitive with respect to companies in, say, Canada, which don't have that kind of burden. So not only is it good for Americans to have something like this, but it's also a jobs creation plan. It's really win-win. So do you think that, so um, I have a question. Why, why are, don't why get don't, why hung should... up on what else one have to do to shrink the state. What, what, I mean, what? that's... Well, I mean, the, the, considering that that is the vast majority of, of the budget is these massive entitlement programs, uh, it's it's very difficult to uh, it's very difficult to say that it should be cut. Unfortunately, I think we lost Professor Buckley there. Uh, not much we could do. Bad connection. But my big question to Professor Buckley is basically. I understand that people want Trump to remain in power, but if they think the Democrats are going to work with Trump and they think that socialized health care is conservative, then why not just become a Democrat? I mean, if the point is just we're going to create a new economic nationalism that involves adopting every socialist position, then why not just do it outright? And that is the big question, I think, that remains. Okay, so in other news, we'll get to, I have a bunch of other news that I want to discuss here, um, but for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com. We're going to be talking about this amazing Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad. We're going to be talking about what's going on in Syria. We're going to be talking about Bannon's ouster. So Bannon has just been uh, basically ousted from the National Security Council. I'll explain why that happened and what that means and why that's a good thing. And we'll talk about all of that, but you have to go to dailywire.com to do that. Dailywire.com, $8 a month will ensure that you can get uh, a subscription to dailywire.com. It means you see the rest of the show live. It means you can be part of the mailbag in a couple of days. Right now, if you subscribe annually, you get a free signed copy of our very own Michael Knowles' best-selling book thing, Reasons to Vote Democrat, a comprehensive guide. It is a massive bestseller, um, and it is a great gag gift that you can give to your friends. So go and check that out over at dailywire.com or listen later to iTunes or SoundCloud for the rest of the show. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So here is the brief news update. The brief news update is that White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon has now been removed from the National Security Council. You recall there was a lot of controversy over Bannon being on it because they'd actually booted off a couple of people like the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Marine Corps General Joseph Dunford. They were off the committee, but Bannon was there. Bannon, whose great foreign policy expertise resides in having quasi-edited Breitbart for a few years, making a bunch of really crappy documentaries, uh, and having been in the Navy 30 years ago. So the, putting people on who actually are in the business of, I don't know, national security seems like a really good idea. Bannon has apparently retained his security clearance, according to NBC. He was given a full seat earlier because Trump likes to surround himself, as you notice, with people he quote-unquote trusts, right? So he likes to surround himself with Jared. Jared is now in charge of China policy. Jared has once been to China. Right. Ivanka is now in charge of domestic policy because Ivanka once made clothing like these things. It, it has nothing to do with policy expertise. It has to do with who Trump trusts. Well, Bannon apparently had attended one meeting 
and felt he was no longer needed in that role after the selection of H.R. McMaster as the national security advisor. Uh, and so McMaster has now taken over the running of the uh, has now taken over the running of the of the National Security Council. Uh, it, Bannon's excuse for why he was ousted makes no sense at all. He's basically saying right now uh, that he he was ousted because he needed to turn the National Security Council around from a tool of Susan Rice. I have yet to see any evidence that that has actually happened, but it's a good excuse. He just says Susan Rice, and the right goes, yeah, we hate Susan Rice. That makes perfect sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It makes no sense at all. But it is a good move. It is a good move. Good for Trump. Um, you know, Bannon should not have been in that position in the first place. It is a positive move uh, that that we are no longer having Steve Bannon giving his weight to the National Security Council um, because that's just silly. And they're going to need to make some changes on national security because clearly they have no strategy. This is one of the big problems is that Nikki Haley will say one thing on Russia. Rex Tillerson will say a second thing on Russia, and Donald Trump will say a third thing on Russia, and nobody knows what the hell is going on. So putting experts in charge and then letting them do their jobs, this is what I said on Monday. If Trump would just shut up and let his experts do their job, he would be much better off because he selected a lot of very good people. Case in point, on, on Syrian policy, Trump has no plan. His entire plan was bash Obama. So over the last couple of days, there was a, a sarin gas attack, apparently, by Bashar Assad on a rebel-held stronghold, and it killed dozens of children in sarin gas attacks. The pictures are just horrific, uh, just awful. And there's a very simple truth here, and that is if America is not strong in the world, somebody bad tends to fill the gap. That doesn't mean that we should go in boots on the ground into Syria. It doesn't even necessarily mean that we should be supplying heavy weaponry to the rebels against Assad, but we certainly should have established a no-fly zone over Syria the same way we had a no-fly zone over northern Iraq for many, many years. Uh, that would have prevented these sorts of sarin gas attacks on children. Uh, Sean Spicer, it's important to note here, okay, I I'm being completely intellectually honest about this. If Barack Obama had said, Bashar Assad, the dictator of Syria, can stay. And then three days later, there was a gas attack. We on the right would have said, you cannot say Bashar Assad is going to stay, and then there's a gas attack without connecting those two events. That's exactly what happened here. Sean Spicer, just three days ago, said Bashar Assad, who's the dictator of Syria, a murderous dictator, a vicious, vicious human being, he can stay. Here's what Sean Spicer had to say a couple of days ago. With respect to Assad, I mean, the, there is a political reality um, that that we have to accept um, in terms of where we are right now. Um, we lost a lot of opportunity the last, uh, the last administration with respect to Assad. And I think that our restatement that both UN Ambassador Haley gave yesterday um, and uh, Secretary of State Tillerson uh, reflects the reality that it is now at the, the, the Syrian people. I mean, we had an opportunity um, and we need to focus on now uh, defeating ISIS. But So you can't rip Obama and then imitate his policy, just make it clearer. So Obama used to maintain the fiction that we were going to get rid of Assad, uh, and then he got rid of the fiction that we were going to maintain Assad, that, 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 we, that we were going to get rid of Assad. That's, that's what Spicer did, and that's what Trump did. Okay, so then they say this. They say, Assad's going to stay. We can't do anything about it. Three days later, Assad gasses 100 people. And here's Sean Spicer's response. These heinous actions by the Bashar al-Assad regime are a consequence of the past administration's weakness and irresolution. President Obama said in 2012 that he would establish a quote-unquote red line against the use of chemical weapons and then did nothing, period. Okay, and now, apparently, moments ago, Trump was asked about Syria. He said, it's a terrible affront to humanity. What's the new policy? And he said, you'll see, which means we have no new policy. Right? Every time he says, you'll see, there's no new policy. So basically, they don't know what the hell they're doing in Syria, except they're going to rip Obama 
It tired me and bored me when Barack Obama blamed all of his own foreign policy failings on George W. Bush, and it tires me and it bores me when the Trump team does the same thing with Obama. Yes, Obama deserves tons of blame here, and it is absurd that Samantha Power is out there blaming Trump, who's been in office for all of three months, not even three months here, and she's saying it's his fault when it was Obama's fault. John Kerry just a couple of years ago was bragging that they had disarmed Bashar Assad and he was no longer dangerous with regard to chemical weapons after he used chemical weapons on his own people. So yes, Obama deserves a heaping helping of blame here. But now he's not the president. Now Trump is the president and they actually have to have a policy. Tom Cotton, who's the senator from Arkansas and a real hawk, he says Assad has to go. Uh, I know the Trump administration right now is working through the national security decision-making process to reach a ultimate policy. I would suggest the policy needs to be that Bashar al-Assad must go. That's been my position for many years. And ultimately, that's the position of millions of Syrians who have been brutally oppressed by him, as well as our Arab allies in the region. Yes, we can make the destruction of ISIS and Raqqa our most immediate priority because of the threat they pose to us. But ultimately, uh, we're not going to have any kind of peaceful resolution in Syria if Bashar al-Assad remains in power. And that was the typical Republican position until Trump took office, at which point his sort of isolationism took over. And so you've got a mess. So here is the reality, and it's a hard reality. Bad things like gassing of children are going to happen if the United States does not do more in places like Syria. End of story. So you can live with that or you can't live with that, but that's the way that it's going to be. My proposed solution is a no is immediate establishment of a no-fly zone, a freezing of the lines that are currently in place in terms of governance enforced by that no-fly zone, uh, and establishment of refugee camps uh, that we help pay for in terms of foreign aid to prevent the rise of terrorism. Uh, that seems to me the best policy, but again, you know, I think that there are people like H.R. McMaster uh, who would probably have policies to recommend, but they're going to be better than whatever Bannon was recommending uh, or whatever Trump has done heretofore, because so far this just—I've said— repeatedly that most of Trump's mistakes so far have been self-inflicted, but every president is tested in his first term. Every single president is tested, either with a recession or with a foreign policy crisis or both. Virtually all are tested with a foreign policy crisis. Trump's going to get them hot and heavy now, and so you better have a plan for dealing with them. Meanwhile, Democrats are still searching for how they fight Trump because they, they, they don't understand that the best thing that they could do right now is to just sit aside, let Trump implode, let him continue to, to futz around. Uh, they should work with him where they can work with him and separate him off from his Republican base because that'll hurt him. Um, but instead, it seems like they're incentivized to fight him, quote unquote, tooth and nail. And that means, you know, Noam Chomsky saying that Donald Trump is going to stage a terror attack to maintain control. He's going to Reichstag fire this thing. When you could you please expand on your comments on alternate that Trump administration could stage an attack? What historical parallel do you have in mind? Well, actually, uh, the statement I made was pretty muted. It wasn't quite as strong as the headlines indicated. Uh, what I pointed out and what everyone, I think, is aware of is that sooner or later, uh, this con game is not going to work. Uh, people will understand he's not bringing back jobs. Uh, he's not going to recreate uh, the uh, partly illusory, partly real uh, picture of what life was like in the past with... Uh, and, then he, and then he goes on to claim that Trump is going to actually stage a terror attack in order to maintain power. And the left is losing its mind. Chelsea Clinton is now being asked daily about whether she's going to run for office. How desperate do you have to be when Chelsea Clinton, who has all the charisma of a doorknob, is being asked to run for high office? She was asked about it, and she almost refused to rule it out. Anybody else in the Clinton household thinking about running and by anybody, I mean you. <laughs> See, you could, you could take your book on the road, 
while you're campaigning with get informed, get inspired, get going. I feel like deja vu with your mom all over again. Are you running? Are you running? Are you running? Running for what? Yeah, n- no. I, I, that's that's no, the question. No, no, no. Um, but I don't know. I, I do think it's important um, that we be talking about all the different ways it uh, is possible to engage in the world. Um, and I think being a citizen isn't something that just happens in an election year. I think it's something that kind of is a call Kelsey's to action. Talking. Each- Sorry, I missed it. Yeah. She, she is just awful. So the Democrats are so desperate that they are now turning to anyone with the last name Clinton, like anyone that they can find whose last name is Clinton. It doesn't matter who they are. It can be some random dude with the last name Clinton. Like n- none of it matters. George Clinton would be OK. Right. <laughs> From Funkadelic. That would be that would be totally fine. So it's uh, it, it, none of it. OK, so the Democrats have have no clue as to as to how to stop Trump. But Trump is doing a pretty good job stopping himself. Um, so, again, if it feels like everything's a mess, that's only because it is. OK, time for things I like and then things I hate. And we'll do a bit of deconstructing the culture. So things I like. Uh, I've been doing French literature. So I hate most French literature. So I really have to search. Uh, but. Camus the Stranger is actually a really good book. So everybody uh, who uh, who has ever been in high school has had to read Camus the Stranger, which is a nihilist book about how life has no meaning, essentially. Um, but it's actually a very well-written book. So so The Stranger is, is a very well-written book, very short, very readable, uh, basically about a guy who commits a murder for no apparent reason and then pays the price. It's sort of the opposite of crime and punishment. So it gets inside his head and it basically says he didn't really do anything wrong necessarily to commit a murder because, hey, life has no meaning, uh, which is why Crime and Punishment is a better book and a better worldview. But The Stranger was very influential in its time for its statement that there is no God, which means that there really is no moral sense that, that matters at all and that we are essentially atomistic individuals wandering through a desert of meaninglessness. If that sounds like an uplifting message to you, go out and purchase Albert Camus' The Stranger tonight and you can read it. It's a very quick read. OK, time for some things that I hate. So, this is fully insane. A Muslim teen who uh, revealed that on his application, he revealed that on his application to Stanford, uh, he was asked what was, uh, I think, what what was the question here? The question was, um, let me find the exact question. What matters to you and why? What matters to you and why? So normally you have like, you have, you know, 100 words or 200 words and you're supposed to write what matters to you and why. Instead, he just wrote hashtag Black Lives Matter And then he pasted it 100 times. He got in. He got in. And he showed his letter. You have been admitted to Stanford's class of 2021. Everyone who reviewed your application was inspired by your passion, determination, accomplishments, and heart. We acknowledge and celebrate all you have worked for with the good news this letter brings. You are quite simply a fantastic match with Stanford. You will bring something original and extraordinary to our campus, a place where you can learn, grow, and thrive. At Stanford, you would enjoy a diverse, joyful, and welcoming campus community with a shared determination to make our world better. Indeed, Leland and Jane Stanford founded the university to promote the public welfare by exercising an influence on behalf of humanity and civilization. So in other words, he just wrote a bunch of hashtag crap on his application, and then he was allowed in despite that. He's met, this this kid has met President Obama at the White House. He was on MTV's list of top 19s changing the world. Bottom line is he was famous already, and so Stanford was going to let him in regardless. But it's convenient for him to, to just write a bunch of nonsense on his application. Now, any application, any person at the college who had any brains at all would say, you don't get in because obviously you're going to be a pain in my ass. Right? Like anybody who writes that on their application is going to be rather high maintenance. 
But he'd already been invited to the White House. He interned and worked for Hillary Clinton. Uh, he gave a TED Talk in Panama uh, discussing the perils and impact of stereotypes as a young Muslim teen. Of course, he was going to get let in on the basis of diversity. Clearly, he wasn't let in on the basis of his quality writing, once again demonstrating that diversity matters more than quality in these applications. Okay, other things that I hate. So Jeff Zucker um, was interviewed by The New York Times, and he was asked about his strategy over at CNN. And one of the things that the the piece said was, shortly before Trump was sworn in, Zucker heard that he was considering giving Fox News exclusive rights to televise the inauguration, and that Jared Kushner was in the process of brokering a deal with Rupert Murdoch, whom Kushner once courted as mentor. Zucker called Trump. Bottom line is that I said, this is crazy. You're just going to give your inaugural coverage to your base of support? It makes no sense. Well, number one, Trump didn't own the rights to the inauguration at all. It is a public event. But here's the part that's really amazing. So, as Zucker sees it, so Zucker has hired Kaylee McEnany and uh, Jeffrey Lord. I met Jeffrey Lord over the weekend, very nice guy, big Trump fan, obviously, and has said things with which I've disagreed on this podcast. As Zucker sees it, his pro-Trump panelists are not just spokespeople for a worldview, they are, quote, characters in a drama, members of CNN's extended ensemble cast. He says, quote, everyone says, oh, I can't believe you have Jeffrey Lord or Kaylee McEnany, but you know what? Zucker told me with some satisfaction, they know who Jeffrey Lord and Kaylee McEnany are. This is not how news is supposed to work. You wonder why news feels so stupid? You wonder why it's just a bunch of people yelling at each other? Maybe it's because the heads of the networks are more interested in purveying daytime drama than they are in actually purveying truth. And so they've decided that they're going to create a cast of characters, and that cast of characters are going to be on TV all the time, and we're going to rate them as to how good-looking they are and how interesting they are. And listen, there's nothing wrong with good-looking and interesting, but at least some content would be nice. And if what's driving you in your news coverage is that you want things to be quote-unquote interesting, then and, and, and you want it to be a, a drama, you want it to be like WB, like CW, uh, then you're doing news wrong. And of course, of co- is it any wonder, by the way, that the media covered Trump with billions of dollars of coverage with a, with a viewpoint like that? Of course it is, and it makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, okay, so quick, quickly, I have to say, uh, I, I want to say thank you to our advertisers over at Birch Gold. So, if you are looking at the current economy and you are slightly unsure, good economic report today, but you are slightly unsure as to where it's going to go, the world economy looks pretty shaky. You, no one knows what Trump is going to do on trade and taxes. If you are concerned at all, or if you just want to diversify your portfolio, you need to go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Go over to birchgold.com slash Ben right now. They will give you a 16-page comprehensive free kit revealing how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of risky stocks and bonds and into a precious metals IRA. To get your no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Everybody should have part of their portfolio in precious metals. I do. Ask all the questions you're going to ask. Make sure that you have all your answers. And then when you're ready to invest in precious metals, Talk to my friends over at birchgold.com slash Ben. Again, they have lost five-star ratings, an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Uh, they're folks that you can trust, birchgold.com slash Ben. Okay, time to deconstruct a little bit of culture. Um, so today is uh, a Wednesday, but because we didn't do a show yesterday, we're going to do deconstruct the culture today. Today, instead of doing a song, we're going to deconstruct this new Pepsi ad that everybody is talking about. So Pepsi has now put out a new ad. And the ad is uh, garbage. So basically, the ad uses one of the Gendals, uh, the, the Gendals, one of the one of the Jenners, Kendall Jenner. One, one, Kendall Jenner is that's the name of this person. Uh, so I don't know who this person is or why she's important or why she's famous, other than she has the last name Jenner. I don't even know who Kendall is. I mean, I assume she's one of the girls because her first name starts with K. Kendall Jenner, unlike Caitlyn or Kylie or Kim Kardashian. 
or Kanuma, I, I, I don't know all the, all the genres, as you can see. They, they decided that they were going to make a new Pepsi ad. We'll show you the ad, and then I will, I will comment upon it. We are the lions. We are the a bunch of people protesting, and no one knows why. And then there's Kenzel Jenner modeling in the middle of a protest, and nobody knows why. And she says, yeah, I'm with it, yo. She takes off her blonde wig, and she jumps into the protest, but she brings a Pepsi with her. Everybody's protesting, nobody knows why, and then she goes and she hands the can of Pepsi to a cop, and everybody cheers, and then says, live bolder, live louder, live, live for now. Um, and, uh, okay, so I have many problems with this commercial. Number one, I don't understand why this person is famous. So, this is your fault. It's your fault she's famous. I didn't know who she was, so it's not my fault. It's your fault. Okay, so we'll start with that. Second of all, I hate the slogan, live for now. I think it's absolute crap. I think that if you live for now, you're going to be a horrible person. I think people who live for now are typically the worst people on earth. They're the people who say, I'm not going to worry about responsibility in the future. I want what I want right now. They're the people who are hedonists. They're the people who don't build a system that's going to work for later down the line. I hate the live for now ethic. I think that it's disgusting. I think that the the idea, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, leads people to eat, drink, and be merry and leave nothing for the next generation, for their kids. They leave a worse world. So I hate the slogan of live for now and I don't I guess I guess the idea is live for now because if you're gonna guzzle down 300 calories in this can of coke you're gonna have diabetes within a couple of years so you might as well live for now right I guess the best slogan you're gonna come up with but then there's the protest aspect of this and that is that no that they basically wanted to cash in so it's funny they're getting hit from left and right they wanted to cash in on the on the protest culture so Katy Perry wanted to do the same thing she has a new song out that we analyzed a few weeks ago in which she talks about why it's important to protest and we shouldn't just dance 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 Right, we, we should actually protest. What are you protesting for? No one cares. But you're out in the streets because, hey, it's important because Pepsi or something. I do love the fact that the ad inadvertently exposes the emptiness of the protest movements, that there's nothing going on, and that I guess they were protesting the idea that cops wouldn't drink Pepsi. Is that what they were protesting there? Because as soon as the guy drinks the Pepsi, everybody starts cheering wildly, <laughs> like something magical happened. So I'm, I'm just wildly confused as to what they were protesting. Were they protesting in favor of lifting the soda tax? Were they, were they protesting in favor of sugar? I don't know. Um, but again, there's this idea that all protest movements are good and that the cops are bad. And that if you just make nice, if the cops would just make nice with the protest movements, everything would be fine. It's not possible for the cops to make nice with some of the protest movements, like the ones that are throwing bottles and setting things on fire and being violent. That seems like a, a huge mistake. So really dumb ad, really, really stupid ad. So that is what it is. Um, and I find it ridiculous in its essence and in not its essence. So uh, thank you, Pepsi, for another empty ad. I, I thought that the best tweet on this, by the way, was in the next ad, Rachel Dole is all for Crystal Pepsi. I thought that that was a, a good call by somebody on Twitter. Okay, so we have reached the end of today's show. But tomorrow we will be back and we will have some Bible talk and we'll be talking more about Steve Bannon as details come out um, and, uh, and all the news of the day. I am Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 